This episode's guests are Sean Sherman and Dan Fichter from Square One System. Sean earned his exercise and science degree from Penn State University and operates a private practice in Western Springs, Illinois. Over the years, Sean has held numerous industry certifications and therefore understands what and how the conventionalists think and believe. Over the past 25 years, his understanding of movement has evolved from that of an apprentice level to a level of mastery by continually seeking answers to his questions. Because he now intimately and thoroughly understands the most basic components of movement, he brings an unparalleled perspective to the table. Not only does he consistently deliver absolutely amazing results to his clients, he teaches his students to be able to do the same. Dan Fichter owns and operates Wanna Get Fast Power Speed Training, a performance training business in upstate New York that offers training to elite athletes. Dan has traveled the country speaking to numerous coaches on speed training, strength training, nervous system development, and has shown them how to pull these elements into a comprehensive package that can substantially elevate an athlete's speed, strength, and movement capabilities. Dan has coached football at the high school and college level for over 20 years and is currently the head football coach at Arondacoit High School in Rochester, New York. In six years as the head coach, he has won two sectional titles to add to his six that he won as the head track coach at the same high school. On this episode, we discuss the guy's background, the square one system, assessment, asymmetry, Sean performs a live assessment and treatment on a patient, and I asked the guys what they were reading or studying at the time that we recorded this podcast. And just so you know, there is a link in the show notes to the video of this podcast so you can see the assessment and treatment that Sean performed during the show. This was a really great episode with the two guys, and I hope everyone really enjoys it. Danny, Sean, it's a pleasure, gentlemen. Dan, thanks for setting this up. Um, for the listeners who are not too familiar with both of you, gentlemen, Dan, I know you've been on before, but uh, give us a catch-up on yourself, and then, Sean, you can give us an introduction. So whichever one of you guys want to go first, fire ahead. Uh, go, for it. go, Dan. Okay. My name is Dan Victor. Uh, I own a company called Want to Get Fast. I'm a performance coach. Um, I'm a physical education teacher. I'm a high school football coach, high school track coach. You name the sport, I probably coached it. Um, and I'm getting old, so I've been around. I've been able to hear a lot of great things in the research and development part of strength and conditioning. Um, I've also heard a lot of terrible things, which helps shape my mind. And, I, and again, I never, I never, when I'm learning something, if, if it doesn't fly with what, what I believe or how I was raised in a the business, then I kind of move on. But I, I'm thankful for my time of somebody explaining something to me that I just don't believe. And um, I think Mel Siff taught me that is hear everything and, and empty your cup, hear it, feel it, decide what you want to do with it. And uh, so I'll lead that into Sean's introduction. I met Sean um, a while back, um, mutual friend, um, Jeff Moyer, kind of turned me on to Sean a little bit. Um, and he had a system and a system that um, he'll talk about that um, focuses on motor control. We have a lot of people in this business that talk about motor patterns, talk about the brain and the influence on movement, but not many people have, um, have cracked the motor control thing. And uh, I think Sean's on to something. Okay. Sean. All right. Uh, Robbie, thanks for having me on your program. Dan and I are both appreciative of that. Uh, but my name is Sean Sherman. I own a fitness studio in the suburbs of Chicago. 
Uh, I've owned and operated that for over 20 years. I've been going down the rabbit hole in, uh, in this neuro stuff since the early 2000s. I was an early adopter of a, of a system called muscle activation techniques based out of Denver. And over the years, I've worked with a number, a small number of professional teams and quite a few collegiate programs. Initially, it was with the MAT stuff. And then in about 2008, I had this impetus moment where I ended up um, kind of taking a not a that's kind of a 180 degree turn from what I was doing, and that ultimately ended up becoming this system called the Square One system. And I believe what I have in the Square One system, uh, well, it's clearly very unique. And I really, I might be misspeaking, but I believe that I have come up with the very first motor control restoration system in the marketplace. There's a lot of things like Dan said, people out there talk about patterns and talk about motor control and a lot of it's on the periphery. I mean, we already know the brain's involved in all aspects of movement. Uh, so everything we do physically, uh, at least indirectly involves the nervous system. But I think I've figured out a way to tap more directly into motor control restoration. So I started teaching that system back in 2012 uh, to other movement professionals. And like Dan said, our paths crossed about a year ago. And, um, you know, and I, and I knew Dan was a kind of a, a big name guy in the industry, very well respected. So when I first talked to him on the phone, I was excited to talk to him. And we were seemed to be in cahoots on a lot of things as it relates to ground reaction forces and locomotion. So we were like starting to have a man crush five minutes into our first conversation, I think, with each other. And then, uh, but I kind of gave Dan some, a long leash. And then over the months, you know, last summer, he's like, Hey, this stuff's pretty good. Cause he was using square one on his, on his athletes and messing around with it. And then about three, four months ago, Dan was getting more and more excited about it. And, uh, we've been kind of plotting and planning behind the scenes and how we're going to kind of take over the world. And uh, as it relates to nervous system, locomotion, ground reaction forces and helping coaches become more impactful with their athletes. So did you work with Greg for a few years? He obviously did. Oh uh, yeah, he was, he was a mentor. He was, he was my teacher. So I didn't work with him, but I, I learned the system back in 2000, um, the muscle activation technique system back in 2002. And then in 03, I got certified and then um, used that system for about four to six, four or five years. And then about 08 was when I started going down this other path. And just, so you're in Chicago, you're saying, so have you done any of the Carrick stuff, Carrick Institute? Mm -mm, I've not. No, I think actually Dan not. brought his name up maybe a week ago to me. Actually, the first time I heard his name. Yeah, I just uh, obviously it'll probably tie into a lot of stuff you're going to touch on today. Um, so getting into square one, then where does this fit in the whole human performance picture? So maybe talk us through, like, you know, well, I mean, I, I know nothing about it now, but I'm assuming there's is there is there an assessment criteria? Then there's interventions. Then is there you know retests or just talk us through through more of the system. Yep. I, I think what I've been talking about to our students for the last few years is if you think about human movement as this, um, this continuum from left being regressed to the right being ultra regressed. So on the right hand side, we're talking about the craziest stuff that the human body is, you know, is capable of. So on the right hand side of this continuum, I'm thinking Cirque du Soleil, I'm thinking high level athleticism, like gymnastics, you know, this really pushing the envelope. Mm -hmm. And then I believe with the square one, we're all the way over on the left hand side. So what we're looking at is motor control. And, and in a nutshell, the most concise definition I would use for motor control is it's how the body, how the brain and how the body are organized to create and generate 
motor patterns. So we look at the square one as not a replacement for anything else, but it's this ultimate, uh, it's almost this prerequisite precursor step. So whether you're in a rehab setting, in a fitness setting, or an athleticism setting, we look at this as the, as the logical first step in working with somebody. So what we're assessing for isn't these um, observable functional outcomes that most other people are looking at, like range of motion and strength and speed and power. And those are all great. But we're looking at is how does the human body right now, presently, how does it respond to ground reaction forces? Because every reasonable pattern, every real world pattern that we pretty much engage with involves us being upright with our foot underground and ground hits back. So what we're looking at, we're just trying to ascertain right now, presently, how is this person's body responding to load as it relates to four rudimentary phases where all the joint actions are working together to go right, to go left, to go up and to go down. So all we're looking at is right now, how is the athlete uh, what's it, what's he doing to avoid? What's he what's he leaning into? How's he responding to load? And once we find out from a pattern perspective or from a phase perspective, how is the athlete compensating? It tells us what to leave alone and look elsewhere for this problem. And the problem we're looking at is, as concisely as I can say it, is we're trying to find these positions or these actions that the brain is. Per, uh, currently or presently perceiving as a threat to homeostasis. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at where is there this uh, intolerance of ground reaction forces. And that's where we direct our intervention, which is basically isometrics. And it's really, it's, it's a conscious in, intentionality wrapped in a, in a isometric is what we always talk about. So it's just opening up those neural pathways to these actions that the brain perceives as kind of shut down, closed off, blocked, whatever you want to term it. And then once we intervene, we do check our work. We find out that we've eliminated that one layer of compensation. So we're trying to get it where the brain doesn't perceive the ground as a threat. So therefore, it doesn't have to zig right, zig left. It can actually choose freely right, left. And there's nothing holding the brakes, you know, causing the brain to put the brakes on. And then more and more normal, optimal movement comes back over, you know, pretty quickly on most people, you know, within minutes and sometimes a session or three. Um, but uh, that's, that's in a real general terms. Dan, chime in anytime you want. I'm sure I'm missing some stuff that might well, uh, for the audience. I, I, you know, that's a great explanation of it. But, but um, Robbie, as you sit and you listen to that, like, and I, I was thinking about this. Like when I close my eyes and I listen to Sean mm -hmm. speak about that stuff, it walks me back through my entire education of learning how to be a strength coach or a performance coach, right? So if you think about it, Back in the, the, the old days when we started to talk about we want to make sure we have maximum central nervous system recruitment and we're talking about fibers and how plyometrics, you know, get everything to turn on. And so then we get into we're actually training the brain. Well, we really weren't. We were training the nervous system and more specifically the muscular system to turn on at high rates and rate coding and all that stuff that we learned. And then it kind of moved into um, – Jay Schroeder stuff where it's absorbing force, extreme isometrics, all, all of a sudden these terms that Sean's using are, are picking up in joint positions, uh, isometrics. Um, e even if you add in Carrick stuff with the eyes and the vestibular system, um, and then I'm hearing words like ground reaction forces, and I'm hearing motor learning and motor patterns like Franz Bosch's stuff, right? So when you're, you're listening to a system that's talking about every place I've been in the research in a single, in a single place. 
nothing was this it took everything into account. Does that make sense? Like even when we were talking about central nervous system stuff and people were talking about Douglas's V-activated and RPR, we're talking about Chapman's reflex, the lymphatic system and its interaction with, with the muscular system, but we're really not talking about how the brain perceives ground reaction forces, which is through joint movement, right? And, and, and how can joints absorb force? Boom, go back to Jay Schroeder. He was all about absorbing force, but he really had half the equation. So when I started to hear Sean talk about this, it was like a light bulb going, wow, every world of mine just collided. And, you know, nothing is the end all be all. And I, and I realize it's, it's all about putting all these different pieces together, but, but clearly in the motor control world, this is pretty profound. Yeah, I, I, I kind of half joked to you over Facebook when we were talking about this. I was like, it sounds very Gary Grayish as well. You know, mm. Gary was always a, when the when the foot hits the ground. I think he used to have a course called that as well. Shit happens. But yeah. uh, it it sounds like so essentially what we're trying to happen or what, what we're trying to achieve through your system, Sean, is mm. to open up more degrees of freedom so that mm. an yes. athlete or a human have uh, more... Um, they have more opportunities to solve a movement problem that presents Correct. In, in an emerging property. So we all know like about motor scale acquisition, you know, every uh, motor uh, question or situation or movement, I should say, every movement situation we find ourselves in always is going to need a different sort of solution to it because we never repeat the exact same movement twice in our lives because of everything that can impact motor control from the thoughts in your head to the way the wind is blowing. Did you have an argument with someone? What's your blood sugar like? You know, mm -hmm. did your grandmother not say she loved you when you were four years of age? You know, everything mm -hmm. can impact how you solve a, a movement, um, a movement equation at any given moment of time. So it sounds like your system's open up more freedom, uh, degrees of freedom. Mm -hmm. um, so just with regards to the assessment, and we're talking about ground reaction forces here, do you then just look at a, a standard gait pattern, or does it depend on the athlete coming in and the actual specific movement patterns they utilize in their sport, where you're trying to make it a little more specific? So I mean, like, obviously, say a baseball pitcher, he's going to have a very different ground reaction force when he, you know, plants his foot and then obviously has to throw the ball to, say, maybe soccer player to maybe a prop in rugby. You know, there's obviously going to be some similarities there, but obviously there's obviously specific patterns and forces that, that's specific to their sport. Like another one, too, would be um, just because this is top of my mind because I only watched the sort of the season of it there on Netflix the Formula 1 guys like you don't actually realise how much like uh, mm -hmm. how much force goes through them guys in terms of um, uh, what's the actual G-force G-force that goes through those guys and the preparation they need to be able to take so my question there mm -hmm. to you Sean is do you make mm -hmm. your assessments a little more sort of specific and individual depending on the sport or is there sort of a a global one you put everyone through or is it a bit of a mixture of both like okay everyone's human everyone needs to walk we all look at a gate mm -hmm. pattern then from there we might specialise great Excellent question. And um, yeah, you, you, you gave me like both ends of the spectrum. I say we would tip the cap to both. But initially what I'm looking at is the most basic phases of human movement. Because all those patterns you just mentioned, whether you're talking about a football player, a baseball player, Formula One driver, all athletic patterns boil down to two basic, two rudimentary patterns of getting upright and then ambulation, locomotion, what we call get up and go. Right, so we have active balance or dynamic balance and static balance. So we have a squat pattern and we have locomotion. What we're looking at is we're trying to get those four base 
phases of up and down, right and left. We're trying to get it where the brain senses that it doesn't need to compensate with those four phases. And once we get those building blocks right, we're seeing it transfer directly to pretty much every athletic pattern you could ever come up with. But then what we do is we have ways to trigger the nervous system. So we'll, we'll restore homeostasis. I always say we restore temporary homeostasis because you say, boo, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot to trigger these nervous system, these negative reactions initially. But what we do is we will drive it uh, towards the individual and their needs. So we might have a, a footballer like kicking a soccer ball. We might have a baseball player make those throws, swing a bat. We might have them perform those patterns. And then we go back and reassess how the brain handled that athletic pattern. So we actually use their specific athletic patterns as a way to draw deeper and deeper and deeper reasons that we can then clear up with the square one system. So we kind of, we start general, but then we drive it on that specific pathway that, that what we're trying to do is get that athlete prepared for what they need to be able to do. And we want their brains to perceive every pattern that they'll possibly um, engage in as non-threatening. So we kind of do both ends of the spectrum, actually. So, and Robbie, in that, in that whole thing that he just explained, that was Jay Schroeder's whole system, yeah. is, is to be in very few positions, hold those positions, and be able to master those positions. And mm. that would take care of running change of direction, squatting, jumping, mm. right? But, but what goes on better with Sean is, is now once you've cleared these patterns, now you can see what actually triggered your injury in the first place. So mm -hmm. if, if you were swinging the bat and rolled your ankle, mm -hmm. so the nervous system has now developed some type of threat mechanism around that, which now you, it traces back to neurology where the brain only operates – <laughs> to give you power when it feels safe, mm -hmm. right? So this is a way now to test it all the time. Make sure that this is not a threat. And how do you know that? We, don't, we know that through neurology by saying, okay, I'm gonna ex expand my periphery. I'm gonna make sure my vestibular system is solid. But now we have a way to check different joint actions and their perceived threat on the brain. Mm -hmm. Which again, to me, links so many things in the movement world together that I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, coming from where I've come from, I don't even think Sean gets it, what it could be. <laughs> right. And, I, and I do what I do. I do what I don't. You know, it's like I know you have – like Dan and I were talking last week about how it's funny how uh, – I think Dan and I, it's, it's interesting how we have arrived to where we are today. Dan did it through just chasing down guys like me, just people who are doing some cool stuff. He chases them down, learns from them, and he has this crazy – uh, toolbox that has, it's, it's, it's pretty filled up. And I, I was the, kind of the opposite. When I had this impetus moment that led to what is now the square one system, I intentionally sequestered myself away from the industry. So I literally, I stopped reading other people's uh, books and I stopped re uh, watching their videos and I just was experimenting on people. So I've literally run probably tens of thousands of experiments over the last 12 years. And what we have on the other end is, hey, this is literally how our body is uh, designed to handle ground reaction forces. So I've been looking for not the hyper specialty piece. I've been looking for what makes us all human? What makes us all the same? And what is that commonality? Because once you figure out, you know, I, you know when, I, when I first came up with this, I, I was getting a little bit frustrated with all these different systems because it was like everybody had a little piece, they had a little piece here, a piece of you know, information here, there it was really cool. But I was like, nobody is showing me how is the body mechanically designed to handle ground reaction forces. So I was looking for a neuromechanical piece and I didn't have those words back then, but I'm like, wait, 
we have to know what's supposed to happen before we can find the outliers and, and the, the missing pieces. I was always looking for the outliers. But I'm like, how do you look for the outliers if you don't know what's normal? And um, yeah, sorry. I don't know where I was taking that exactly, but I was just, I get excited when Dan talks. Is it? No, no, it's he, good. It's oh, go, sorry. Finish. No, go ahead. Go ahead, buddy. Um, j- just in terms, something that's always come to my mind when I hear individuals speak about, you know, how the body, it's funny, you, you know, because the last few years, like it's sort of what I've been thinking too, because I'm always thinking about like just being a human and the human experience and how to optimize, you know, human performance. And when I say performance, I mean that in a holistic manner and that your performance, like not only as an athlete, but like as a dad, as a CEO, as a mother, as a husband, as a friend, just basically to optimize your experience as a human while, while you're alive on this planet, like, which could be a long time now if, if uh, David Sinclair gets his way with all this life extension stuff. Um, but uh, like something that I was coming, you know, so like critical things are like you know the sun, like you know with Jack Cruz, Daniel, yeah. like water, um, uh, water, light, magnetism. Obviously, they're big factors. But other, other things that I was thinking of, you know, like I, I always see people walk, and I'm always like, how is that person uh, negotiating gravity? Because you also have about ground reaction forces, so I'm always thinking about like, you know, overcoming gravity every day is like a fucking fundamental thing of how we as humans just operate as a species. But just a question I have that that's coming to my mind is like, how, like how far does that get us, and do we need to regress further? So like, you know, the thing was the, the the one sort of argument against Gary Gray stuff was that he didn't go back far enough. So Gary was always like, well, it's all it all starts where the foot hits the ground, and then people go, yeah, but before that we were on our hands and knees, and then before that we were actually on our belly, and then before that we were on our back, and then before that we were inside our mother's vagina and the womb, um. So like, how far back do we need to go? Like, so like, do, like, do we need to actually regress back to like more primitive patterns to help build up the body? Like, does will that actually have a transfer to ground reaction force? And that's kind of where I'm getting at. Dan, do you want it or should I go with it first? Either way. What's that? Do you want to answer or should yeah. I? Yeah. So here, here's the thing. So so you're talking about primitive reflexes, and, and Dr. Maleo comes to mind for me, right? So here's a guy when it comes to primitive reflexes and he talks about brain and the learning and all those things that occur when you're stimulating different parts of the brain that mm. stuff's great but once you become an upright walking human being yes now we're talking about things that we can control right so those primitive reflexes yes if they weren't integrated correctly and all these things those do have to be addressed yeah i, I think we're at a at a system here is once you start upright um locomotion stuff's going to change and that's mm-hmm. where we can go back to now I, i'm going to give you an example here we talk about these joint actions separately like if you look at like two of the best foot guys in the world right now one of my best friends chris corpus and um adrian Barr, that's talking with with joel all the time right those guys are really good about joint mechanics that happen in the foot itself that's awesome right but when your foot hits the ground, the rest of the ground hits your body back and it hits your entire body, not just your foot. So your foot should be, could be displaying something that your right shoulder caused when your left foot hit the ground, right? So that's the part that we need to be able to trace back because we do have all these great therapies that handle joints that I'm looking at that I can, ooh, this doesn't move. Okay. So I'm going to try this, this reflex, that. Re- but when you're talking about how the brain now perceives when the ground hits you, that, then it changes because you're talking about 
however many, how many joint actions, 200 and some odd joint actions. And within square one, we check, I think 210, 212. Then that, yeah. And there's more. Yeah. Uh, and then kind of piggyback on Dan too. Like I agree with what Dan said about uh, these primitive patterns. It's like those I believe are necessary when you're three months old, six months old, but all that stuff, uh, that, that phase, that punctuated period at the beginning of our life is to develop the strength along the, the spine and the posterior chain to get us to a more mature pattern of being upright. So when we're able to be upright, I don't know that it makes sense that we have to fully regress beyond you know, you know, back to crawling. I'm not saying there's no value in that. It's just that we're mature human beings and, you know, I'm, I'm not working with three month olds. I'm not working with nine month olds. My clients are all, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old on the young end. And most of my clients are twenties, thirties, up to seventies, eighties, nineties. So we're, we're dealing with fully mature, uh, fully uh, developed, uh, motor patterns that again, it's like, I, I those early infantile patterns of crawling and, and, and grasping and all those like uh, reflexive and all those patterns are really stepping stones to get upright and go. It's really Yeah. Again, again, I guess maybe I wasn't like could be more clear to question. I guess some people would think that like uh, the majority of the population don't actually go through those sequences like mm. properly. Like most people don't. And they're saying that, well, if that foundation isn't in place, so then they're upright. Mm gate mechanisms will probably never be proper so that's why some people mm. regress may regress to that another just question for you and i'm just asking questions out of pure curiosity in my part because like the only thing i know for sure is that i know fuck all so uh, <laughs> yep agreed uh, me too more, about myself yeah. not about you i don't know you all yeah. yeah 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 <laughs> uh but just uh, another thing i do find very interesting is this natural asymmetry of the human body like you know so you you look at a lot of some like say I would say lower level anatomy books, they present these beautiful symmetrical bodies. But when you really study like proper anatomical, you know, textbooks like Gray's and all that, you can clearly see there's massive asymmetries in how human body set up between the lungs and the diaphragm. And, you know, the body actually has more like weight on one side. So the left side of the body or one side of the body, like, so, I mean, Mm-hmm. Generally, like yeah, things left side is more more heavier going off like sort of Bill Hartman's work. So like Bill would talk about you know that we're actually fighting to get out of left stance all the time because there's more weight generally in the body in terms of viscera. You know like the heart's over to that side and the spleen and the liver is obviously on the right, but there's a bigger diaphragm on the left. And so like because a lot of people then start talking about joint centration and all that's something you talk about and you know joints and under full range of motion. And then it kind of makes people think that the human body needs to be this perfectly symmetrical. Everything has to be centered to optimize, you know, decrease threat in the brain, optimize power output and movement of the body. But then there is this natural asymmetry of the body that needs to be appreciated too. Like, has that ever come into your thoughts too, that, you know, that there is this asymmetry that needs to be respected? I guess, well, so listen, the answer is that, yeah, there is an asymmetry, yeah. but you don't want to let it be so, so grossly asymmetrical that it's, it's causing dysfunction. But just, just some thoughts there too, like, yeah, and I would say uh, the, the word, one word you said really stuck out is outputs. So to me, it's like posture and jumping and, uh, you know, these, these visual observations we make of the human body. These are all outputs. That's all downstream stuff. So we have to respect that, yeah, there's going to be asymmetry structurally, functionally, and all that. So actually, it's funny was when, when people, when I get a new client who comes into my office, uh, you know, we got these anatomy charts on the wall and I always say, Hey, the only assumption I'm going to make about you 
is I'll point at the anatomy charts. I'm like, that guy in the wall, that's not you. You're not symmetrical. So like, I'm going to make that assumption and everything else, we're going to just ask your body questions and we're going to pose questions to it neurologically. We're going we're gonna to mimic ground reaction force and see how your body responds to that. And we're going to let your body individually let us know where the deficits are, where you're compensating, all that stuff. So I'm just there to observe and I'm making the assumption that I haven't met the world's only physically perfect human being. Like that's probably not the next guy that comes in my office. It's just not going to be that person. So I would say we definitely tip the cat to that. And we don't, that's not our goal. Our goal isn't to even change the functional outcomes. It really is focused on the process and not the outcome. Mm. So all we're trying to do is get the brain uh, less in a fight or flight, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, as it relates to the ground. So the whole deal is if we can get the body to accept ground reaction forces, uh, we're going to be, chances are we're going to see some really cool changes in range of motion and strength and power outputs. And we're going to be happy with that. So we're, we're very much going after the process, not trying to, artificially boast up, you know, boost up these asymmetries that don't make sense to our brain. Like, look at that guy, his leg doesn't turn in. So we got to do X, Y, and Z, or her arm doesn't reach overhead. Here's, I know what we got to do. We got to release the lat and we're jumping all these conclusions. I'm like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. Why don't we back up further and find out how this person is handling uh, ground reaction forces first? Because if they can't do that, well, all that other stuff is all, it's, it's all downstream anyway. Like it's not that it's not important, but it's like first things first. And that's all, I look at it's all downstream and I try not to, um, I think so much like, like Sherlock Holmes, you know, Scotland Yard is paying attention to the blood splatter on the wall and Sherlock's looking out the window and, oh, the shade is hitting the clock at this time of day. He's, he's paying attention to um, clues that the mainstream isn't. So I think trying to use our eyes to judge what's going on with movement is just fraught with so many challenges. And when we start falling in love with all the theories we build because it's logical and like, oh, okay, the first theory we tend to build around range of motion or posture or just observing someone walk. Like, oh, I can tell the way the foot's hitting the ground in the inside. That means X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, you don't know that. I don't know it. None of us know that. So we need to learn how to ask better questions of the human body, deeper, more probing questions that relate to the most basic ways that we're designed neuromechanically to function in this world that is ruled by gravity and the ground and our brain's ability to orchestrate things in, in relationship to those, those external factors. And Robbie, I, to, to add to that, the, the whole ace, asymmetrical thing, I, I agree with that 100%. Like, like your testicles, they don't, they don't hang like this, right? They're like this. So when they do swing, they don't hit each other, right? But, but I look at it like this. As you begin to get upright and moving, each – actually, it's each step. But each, each year you live, it's like you're putting on a winter coat putting on a different mm. pair of pants. I'm putting on another coat. I'm putting on another pant. And then all of a sudden you have these layers of compensations that you've developed over your natural moving and playing and doing all these things. It's got nothing to do with the asymmetrical part of the body that's in there. And sorry that you're maybe you're born with and reflexively from the primitive reflexes. It has more to do with the layers of compensation that you've been wearing for years. And I think this, what this system does, it just peels one jacket off, boom. We go to move, ooh, there's the new one. Peel that jacket off, and here we go. So now you become, you know, you're carrying less coats around. Mm. Now, listen, I, uh, I fully appreciate and understand where both yourself and Sean are coming from there. And Sean, I understand what you mean by their downstream inputs. Again, I've done a shitty job explaining myself there. I guess I, I'm sort of putting forth the postural restoration institute's idea 
that every human is is asymmetrical because of unless you're born in situ where everything's on the opposite side of the body but their whole thing is that like that there's this common pattern that nearly every human has like they call it like a, a left anterior inferior ilium on the left and then they've all these acronyms and all that but um like you know that that most humans are actually right side dominant because you know you have a bigger hemisphere on the left and controls the right side and he's like even you get those funky people who write with their left hand but they do everything else with their right hand like play pool and ten and tennis mm-hmm. and all that so it, it 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 would be it would be unjust to me to try and tell you everything about pri but it's just mm-hmm. that what i'm saying it'd be nice if you could get if you like looked into pri stuff and see where you felt that fit in with your system kind of like you're talking about the way like you know you said you've been secluded away from your system and dan mm-hmm. went to all these other ones i'm mm-hmm. sort of similar to dan and that like i've looked at you know pri and i've been mm-hmm. dns and you know the carrick institute stuff and then obviously there's fucking i've even looked into mat and all that stuff fms mm-hmm. and just some other fucking ones there too loads mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. um and it's kind of you know again you're taking bits of b- bits from everywhere like and trying to put them together you know obviously gary gray stuff as well but uh it, it'd be just interesting to see where those things kind of all fit together and going off with dan saying dan has such an eclectic background that he's saying that you know your system has seen to touch on nearly everything and put it in a nice sort of ribbon so i'm just asking questions to see if mm-hmm. if, if you've had these sort of thoughts yourself uh ju- just in in terms maybe of for the listeners even for myself I think what might be good, maybe a case study or like, you know, an example of, you know, such and such came in and this is what we've done with this person and, and this was the outcome or, or would that be something that could be practical to do right now? Or what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I got a table. I got to move it from this other space over here. Yeah. No problem. I got a, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, we'll have a test dummy here. We can throw on our table and find uh, maybe like an asymmetry and range of motion. See if we can change some stuff. Yeah. Quick. Yeah. Cool. All right. So yeah, you guys well, keep talking and yeah, give me like a minute. Well, you get that. Well, you get cool. that. So, so Robbie, I think about it like this too, is a lot of times in the therapy world, we do something on a table and somebody gets up and they start going back to play and the pattern's back mm. because the ground changed things. Clearly. Well, I, I have a huge issue. I, I've had a, even, even before I, and I don't, and as I said earlier on, I know enough to know, I know fuck all. But even when I was new and green to this whole profession of performance and even therapy, and I was taking like my manual therapy courses, and they used to do all these table range of motion tests, you know, like it's, you know, like just a leg raise. Or the one that used to really bug me was, you know, when you lie down on your back, and it, it was the glute firing test, you know, and, oh, your glute, and then the opposite side erectors and the hamstring are meant to go in the sequence, and they say, oh, it's off, and like it never made sense because I, I'll, I'll say, I was like, but how do you know that that that, that that's the pattern that happens when they're upright against gravity like you don't unless you have an emg or something and even emg could be faulty so like i've often asked these questions like how much do you think that something in a horizontal position away from the gravitational force is actually telling you about what's going on in the body when it's upright against gravitational forces it just never made sense to me right so that that's one aspect of things that didn't click for me now I, i've seen people when you do a glute activation I, i've seen it all the time with Douglas's stuff you get off the table it's great you know it's awesome um but there was a loophole there of of what happens when that foot hits the ground the the Mm -hmm. second part of that was is you know you created this range of motion increase well that's just because there was a stimulus to the nervous system and blah 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 there's a guy on youtube that completely discredits that stuff if i touch here 
you got this range of motion. Uh, and it's it Spina's. You ever see Spina's video? He goes, name a body part. And he's like, right. the baby tone. He touches it and the leg raise gets better. It's because right. you're, you're decreasing threat to the brain. Like. Right. Okay. So with, with this system, you're going to actually go through the movement that created that pain. You're going to get back on the table and we're going to test it to make sure that it held solid, which is awesome. It rechecks the work based off the ground reaction forces you gave it. And you can do whatever you want, right? So again, when you look at loopholes in systems, and they're not loopholes, they're just, a, you know, it's, it's, you don't have the answer for it right now in your terminology. Mm. This has the answers to it, which is awesome. Yeah. Is there, is there a way to make Sean bigger and no smaller, is there? So we can get a bigger shot of Sean's. Um, is there a way can you, Sean, can you share your screen? Is that, would that, no, that would, that would share his computer screen. Speaker view, maybe, is this it? Yeah, go into. There you go. Yeah. That's better. You see it all now? Yeah, because yeah. you're, you're nice and big now and we're, and we're small. All right. All right. Cool. So what I'm going to do is, um, you guys ready for a little demo, Robbie? You might want to, yeah. you might want are you going to be, you might want to turn her around, right? I gotcha. Yep. And put it up higher. Thank you, Dan. Flip it around. That's what I'm here for. And then I'll, uh. I gotcha. I got a table here. I can set the computer a little higher. Sorry, guys. I thought I was ready. I like those chairs. Yeah, thanks. Nice chairs. So, anyways, Robbie, when you talk about little little holes like that, that I, I'm looking for of how to how to address them, how to answer them, how to talk about them, because they're there. Um, even when you talk about Carrick stuff with the eyes. So when you're, when you, let's just go right foot. When your right foot hits the ground in gate, your eyes go right. Mm. I don't care what your vestibular system says. That's what they do based off all the joint actions that explode in your body, right? So what happens after that? If your eyes are going right, is it creating a threat? We have to find out. Yeah. So go ahead, Sean. Is that a good angle? Can you see her feet? Yeah. Okay. So uh, what, what I'll probably do is I might be yelling because I'm a little far away here. Um, I'm going to just check internal, maybe external rotation, straight leg, and look for an asymmetry, so like a, a poor functional outcome, and then I'll walk through the process. And, um, yeah, so, Dan, you can commentate or I can commentate whatever, you know, explain what I'm doing as I'm doing it if I'm too far away from the, from the microphone. I'll kind of, I can help walk you through it too. Um, See here? So, yeah. I can, I can hear him perfectly. Yeah. What's that? He can hear you. I can okay. hear we can, Yeah, you sound perfect. And you see the asymmetry with internal rotation. Your right leg doesn't go as far as the lefty. Now, Sean, how, how, do you, how do you know that that's, that's her leg or that her pelvis is in out of position? It's just a functional measure. It's just a Polaroid snapshot before and after. So I'm not even trying to ascertain ankle, knee, hip, torso. It's just, a, hey, check out what she can or can't do. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I, I'm only asking questions out of pure curiosity. That's all. Oh, absolutely. No, it's a good question. So, so we're not using this as a way to direct my intervention at all. We're just going to establish uh, a, a screwy downstream outcome. Say, hey, check it out. This is kind of ugly. And then we'll put that on a shelf and then we're going to go into square one mode 
do our thing. We'll come back and see if it changed the outcome. So we're not going to use this to drive our assessment or our intervention. Okay. Yeah. 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 So a lot of times I know when I've presented or Dan as well, if we go do a a square one demo, we'll find something like this right leg doesn't turn in or left leg doesn't turn in. And then a lot of times we'll just start asking our audiences questions like, okay, now what would we do with this? So using your background, you know, what, what stretch will we do? What intervention, where would you rub? what have you corrective so, exercises corrective exercises so like all right so if the only information we know is hey here in the open chain her feet are off the ground her right leg doesn't turn in what might be some interventions that are commonly uh would be pursued at this point uh you know robbie what would you think might be an intervention we could try that because because of her right intern rotation yeah if, if that's all we know hey check it out that's kind of a little stiff on her right leg turning in to, to to be honest i i would use uh pri's uh dro- drop adduction test and see the thing is if if you weren't aware of their work it probably would make no sense you know so, yeah, yeah, so what, what what pr so what pri made me realize well one thing they made me realize was that you could look at like hip or shoulder ranges of motion and think, oh look, like that 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 uh, appendage is is not doesn't have its range of motion. But it, yep. the appendage isn't the problem. It's the axial skeleton is out of position due to asymmetry in the diaphragm. Like, so they they would do one or two breathing. So one of their famous tests, it's like the it's like the over test for IT band, but they don't use it for that. They use it so that let's say they put you in that position and they drop the leg down. And you're going to you, have limited abduction, right? Yeah, and you can't adduct the hip. Their yeah. thing is, their thing is, that's not a soft tissue issue. That's bone hitting bone because the left ilium is out of position because there's this right. natural built-in asymmetry because of the human body's asymmetrical due to because the one thing right. the human body does every single time throughout the day is respiration. And respiration is asymmetrical. So they they would say like you need to make sure that the axial skeleton is as symmetrical as can be before you start measuring any appendages. That's why I was even sure. asking with the leg there. Sure. And I'm not even going down that far because my thought is when I see a restriction range of motion, I think what we don't know is like uh, just by using this, we don't know if it's because of impingement like you were just talking about or if it's protective muscle guarding Mm because it looks the same. It's like, okay, so that's actually kind of fruitless. Like, okay, I can do a 50-50. I could, you know, I get a coin in my pocket and pick it out and flip it and find out if I have the right answer is as, you know, know, as, as valuable as range of motion assessments. So I'm merely just using it as, you know, before snapshot, most people would say, "Hey, let's, you know, stretch something, or let's uh, let's do some, you know, well, let's look at the hip internal rotation." Yeah, exactly. So, so should I just keep going, Dan? What do you think? Yeah, 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 this, do, yeah. This, this is great. Sure. Yeah. So we we all all we did so far is just establish right leg is a little bit restricted. So what I'm gonna do next is. Well, Dan, should I let you call play by play, and I'll just move slowly, and I'll try to listen. Well, I'll tell you what. So, so like what Robbie said. Um, you were talking about the hip, something with the hip with internal rotation. Maybe it's at the pelvis. Do something from an intervention at the pelvis. Okay. So maybe if she's lacking this internal rotation, one thought might be that we have to have her pop her left hip forward mm. in order to have better congruency, better centration of the hips and the spinal section. It's a little harder, a little longer hold. So this holds like five, 10 seconds. We'll do this one little isometric intervention. Take a break and then I check. And there's temporarily, we got this internal rotation improvement. Then if I go the opposite, I want you to pop your right hip forward. Get worse. Three, two, break, little break. What happens? And it tightens her right back up. So we fed 
Okay. Uh, when we had our popper left hip for, we fed what's called right step, or what we call right step within square one. And it was an improvement uh, temporarily of that internal rotation of her right leg. And then we had her pop her right hip forward or right pelvis forward. So that's left pelvic rotation, which would be consistent with what we call left step. And it took her back to that beginning's um, you know, restricted range of motion uh, presentation again. So right now that just shows us like, oh wow, check it out. The nervous system's responding to inputs that we feed into the system. That's all we know right now. Okay. So now what we, what we typically use as, um, as an indicator that we use repetitively within square one is a neural response muscle test. And I'm just going to pick, uh, I, I tend to use uh, a glute minimus test or a glute medius test. And uh, I'm just going to use that on her and find out if we can find a failed test position. So up here, we need to turn out, don't hold your leg up, let your leg go heavy, turn and stop me from pushing in and straight out. So she's failing left, have a righty, just turn out, straight out, push, solid. Show me this again here. So we have this failed left leg muscle test position. And again, we're not thinking, oh, we're gonna fix the weakness. We're gonna use this as our, as our change detector. So then all I'm gonna do now, I'm gonna cock your right foot back. We're gonna mimic, imitate ground reaction forces in this plane at a right angle. And we go back to our indicator test. Fight me hard. Hard if you got it. But there we go. Get strong and range of motion comes back. Then I go and feed left dorsiflexion. Fail. And it tightens it right back up. So what we've done here is we've just established through not only the muscle test, but also the range of motion change, that right now her nervous system has this unsafe perception of left step. Because when we shoved her left ankle in the dorsiflexion, it made her go weak. It, we lost that range of motion on the right side, so it kind of temporarily robbed the body of resources. And then when we fed right step, right ankle dorsiflexion, we get that strong muscle test and that range of motion comes back. So we, in square oneville here, we would perceive this situation as, hey, left step, where the left foot is the ground, right foot pushes off, and then all three planes, all the joint actions through the entire body is perceiving left step as how she needs to compensate because she, her body is avoiding on some level this right step where the right foot is the ground. So all we know now is we've limited, uh, we got rid of about 100 options and now we just have narrowed our focus down to 100 places where the load intolerance or the ground reaction force intolerance issue is. So we just know it's right step which would be for a right-handed person, maybe a backswing if they're a baseball player or a golfer, kind of the backswing. So we're going to try to figure out where within this right-handed person's backswing is the issue. So we're going to use what's called therapy localization, which is the second piece that we've borrowed from applied kinesiology and clinical kinesiology. And all we're going to do is touch on various segments. And after every physical touch from the practitioner, we're going to go back to that reference muscle test and find out where there's improper signaling. One of the things too, Sean, can you hear me? Yep. One of the things too is, is and stay back there. I, Robbie, from, from top to bottom of the spine in the joint actions, we'll ride that pattern down. Yes. Okay, here's what I mean by that. So if her eyes go left, watch what happens to that pattern. Strong and big range. Eyes to the right. Fails, tightens her right back up. 
So eyes left, consistent with right step or the backswing. Eyes right, uh, consistent with, actually I got that reversed. I got eyes right, consistent with the right swing. Yes. Yeah. issue going on. Interesting. Okay, so now we're gonna do therapy localization where I'm just gonna touch your knees. Big turn. Solid. Go hips. Ribs and belly. Okay, just touch your belly for me. Just touch your ribs. So we're finding in the T-spine is where there's an issue. When we touch their knees, solid response. We touch the hips, solid response. We touch belly and ribs, failed. Isolated just the lumbar spine through touch, strong. Hit just the ribs. There's our fail. So right now we're looking at, again, we kind of went from 100 or 200 options down to 100 when we found out that we're going to chase after what we call right step. And now we narrow down the three options when we found out that it's in the ribs or in the thoracic spine. So now we just got to feed and imitate ground reaction forces at the T, in the T-spine as it relates to the right foot striking the ground during locomotion. So they said we lean your torso to the left and then come back out of it. So we just imitated ground reaction forces. Solid. Then I'm going to cock her foot back. Give me a big, tall chest. Take a break. Good. Give me a crunch, head and shoulders off the ground. Take a break. So there's our fail. So that worked out well. I got to see all three joint actions. So again, just to reiterate, we had her actively uh, go into left T-spine side bend, checked her work. She was solid. Her brain perceived that as a fine position. Then I believe we did a T-spine extension, rechecked. She was solid. We did the crunch, and that's what is robbing her of resources right now. So we would interpret this situation as the most recent reason she needs to compensate is her brain is there's a certain aversion to thoracic flexion so anything you want to add there dan before i go through the intervention can you guys hear me yep I can okay hear you. dan you want to add anything before i go into the intervention okay so so we found thoracic flexion yep. is off of right step yep is is creating that that temporary nervous system shutdown. Yes. All right. So now he's going to fix that, and then he's going to go back and check to make sure he fixed it, mm -hmm. and then then you can check for an outcome to see if anything changed. Perfect. So the intervention, it's really conscious intentionality directed at the joint action that the brain perceives as unsafe. So we're going to wrap it in an isometric. So Lisa, all I want you to do is crunch and hold for about three, two, one, take a break. So she did the intervention. And what I'm going to do to prove my work is I'm going to shove her into left step that was just making her go weak and tightening her up. So this is how we check our work. So now I mimic. Foot back, right here, solid. So if I cock her right foot back, solid. Go ahead, turn your eyes to the left, right here. Turn your eyes to the right. Awesome. So right now she's showing tolerance to ankle dorsiflexion right and left, eyes right and left, and then we check her range of motion. Big range, whether I shove her left foot back, big range, right foot back. Big change. So we have her in a state of temporary homeostasis. 
So then, Robbie, then we go back to your uh, a question you had asked about specific patterns. So this is the point in the session where we could then uh, have her perform a pattern, you know, a lunge, a squat, just stand up and, 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 and tolerate ground reaction forces in an upright position. So we can actually start feeding her body stimuli and find out what actually, quote unquote, breaks her. So that's what we're going to do next. So Lisa, I want you to just stand up and you can face whatever direction you'd like. And I want to lay back down. All we did is got her upright. I'm going to make sure that when she stands up and is, you know, has to, her whole body has to engage with the ground. I want to make sure that that is not tripping things up here for us. So we need to externally rotate right here. Awesome. She's strong. Range of motion. We're interpreting this as, okay, her body is tolerating just standing upright. So now we're going to kind of climb the ladder and increase the intensity of what we're going to have her do. So Lisa, I'll have you stand up and give me a deep, deep, deep squat. Both uh, heels on the ground, if you can. Really deep. Go ahead, Mark. Give me two more, even. Just a feeder body, three body weight squats, and see what happens. Excellent. We'll get you here. It's a pretty good squat. Yep. It's a good squat. There <laughs> we go. Big turn. All right. You know, and that didn't mess her up. And that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's my wife. I've worked on her before. It's been a few weeks or a few months, actually. So that makes sense because we cleared that on her probably months or maybe a few years ago. I'm going to try to think of something, maybe like a split squat, like a power where she lose the ground because I don't think I've ever had her do that. She didn't know I was going to have her do all this. Let's <laughs> have you stand up, babe. And all I want you to do, I'm going to be on that side, is just lunge and then jump up. So from like me touching the ground, go fast. I do it again, but like explosive, really hard. All right, I'll get you here. There we go. Now, chances are, how'd that feel from intensity? That wasn't like super hard. So it wasn't that it was difficult from a challenge, like from a tissue effort perspective, but her brain's like, whoa, 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 what was that? That was something she hasn't done. She doesn't play basketball. She doesn't play tennis. So that's probably a, a pattern that maybe she hasn't done in a long time. Her brain just perceived that activity as a threat. Now, here's what's really real. I think it's really cool. I'm going to go back and check that range of motion because we just showed that the muscle test failed. But what's really cool probably we still have the range of motion and that kind of is a is a short answer to people who always want to know how long does the effect of this last and my question is like which effect are you talking about you start messing with the brain and a million things downstream start changing so what's really cool is we've actually used this to take people out of pain improve range of motion athleticism that effect tends to last and last like weeks and months so what's cool is we got that range of motion improvement but yet we still have that muscle test to detect like, oh yeah. And so it didn't totally mess up all of our outcomes, but her brain did perceive that pattern as a threat. So I'm going to go right back into square one mode, find out on my chase and right step or left step, which segment am I going to chase after, which, you know, which hyper specific, which planar specific action is the next culprit that's causing her to wear, as Dan used the analogy of a winter coat, like what's, what's the source of this next layer of compensation? So... I'm going to cock her foot back again to imitate. Bobby, right. I want to take a picture of your face right now. Why is it very... I'm like, a... what the fuck? No, no, no. No? Okay. All right. So right now, she's tolerating right step and left step, which is great. That's our locomotion pattern. But we have that static balance pattern of squatting or up and down. So clench your teeth. So clenching her teeth makes her go weak. Open wide. 
solid. So we'll go eyes back. So we're looking for the specific joint action, chin back. There we go. So on this layer, we're finding that her brain is perceiving capitis extension as the driver of compensation. So we want to just fill that hole in. So at least a chin back and just isometric contraction into that for three, two, one. I want you to clench your teeth. Perfect. Two layers down. She's strong. Range of motion is there. Give me that same uh, split squat into a jump. Back on the table. Still not tolerating that pattern. So I go right step, feed it, solid. Left step, failing. So we're chasing right step. Go ahead and touch your ribs. Is that our area? Go ahead and touch your neck. Touch your belly. So now we're chasing right step, the issues in our lumbar spine. I'm going to imitate ground reaction forces in three planes of movement. So I'm going to drag her legs out to the right for right lumbar side bend. She tolerates it. Pop this hip to the sky. Take a break. Transverse plane, pelvis to the right. She's good. So we're going to look at the sagittal plane. So I'm going to keep your butt underground. Arch your low back into the sky. Take a break. Boom, so lumbar extension, so we'll just feed that. Go ahead and arch your belly up for three, two, one. We check her work. I load her into what was just her compensatory pattern. She's good. I can do a split squat again. So we just keep going and feed the system different patterns and activities until her body tolerates it before we move on to another activity. So now she's cool with that. So if she's my client, I might just have her do a split squat with her opposite leg forward. So let's do that. So I think you had your lefty, but maybe take your opposite. Because if I look at it, like, I don't know, I've seen better lunges. I've seen worse lunges. I don't think that uh, our eyes are the best way to detect nervous system changes. Yeah, you're good there. So the opposite side was cool. So I don't know if that's enough or you guys want to keep going or if you have other specific questions right now. You see how many patterns he's, he's peeling back, right? So now that movement is no longer a threat. Yeah, right. no, I, I understand. Listen, I'm all about brain and decreasing threat and neural inhibition. I mean, I've been at that school taught for a long time. So everything you're saying and doing, like it's, it's no, like it's nothing like I haven't, like that's kind of if I finish that statement, it would have sound very sort of ignorant or that like I, I like there's nothing there that I'm like oh my god that's like it's magic like I can understand from a mechanistic standpoint how all that's possible. Um, does Lisa have any um issues? Does she have any injuries or pre pre existing? Like is she symptomatic uh, right? No, any symptoms right now, Lisa? No, she's feeling pretty good lately. Hasn't been in any tissue damage, anything like that in a long time. Yeah. No, just just wondering. And yeah. purely, like, this is just me, purely. And I'm like this at any sort of course that I've ever went to, muscle, muscle testing. I'm, and even this, I'd say this with even Douglas to uh, Dan. Like, I'm, I'm still always very skeptical of muscle testing. Mm -hmm. Maybe not so much even from maybe not so much from the actual practitioner teaching the course, but definitely for the students that are going out doing it. Because obviously then, you know, I just, I'm very, it's so hard to quantify muscle tests, you know, because, like, and even like, say like with PRI, when they do like the range, like they always go, look, see, look at it. Can you see it's better? And I'm always like, no, like, how do I know you just didn't twist that in more? Like, you know what I mean? It's just, uh, I'm just personally like that anyway. Like they're always like leg up, push. And it's like, oh, and it's see, oh, now it's all better. It's just like, uh, 
I'm just very skeptical mind when it comes yeah. to every type of muscle test and I'm like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I, I think th- there's a, there's a couple different ways that people have taught muscle testing, right. From a, from an orthopedic standpoint to a, to a neural response standpoint. So I think what we're doing is globally looking at how fast your nervous system responds to the stimulus, right? Mm. So it's not a muscle test. It's a response Correct. test. Yeah, yeah. It's just, an, it's just an input to see what the output will be. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And like how then, again, I ask questions. I'm pure. Every question I ask is out of 100% respect. So never ever think I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. Like I'm not a person who's trying to prove that I'm a smart So I'm questioning because I'm just really inquisitive. How then... Could we say if that if if Lisa was like an athlete and it was a performance measure, how do we know what we're doing there in the table is transferring into performance then? It, it, you, go ahead. For for me, it's if I can make your brain more resilient to threat, I'm already ahead of the game. Okay. So it might not come as a five inch vertical leap like we're all looking for is this potentiation but it may come from hey if i'm doing this workout my brain is now going to accept the full capacity of what it's actually learning how to do right so yeah some i've seen people increase their vertical jump but i don't go around and promote all that stuff what i go around and promote is now now there's a real opportunity to learn now there's a real opportunity that window is wide open for threat yeah yeah. yeah, I would answer. Very, I love and agree with Dan's answer, and I would just say anecdotally, uh, it's usually pretty crazy in that they're on a high percentage of our athletes. There is a transference directly to you know whether it's vertical jump or we'll do a lot of work with some baseball players where there's exit velocity increases right then and there on the spot. Mm. We've had a pitcher this past um, this past winter. We're working on him. We worked on it for about 20 or 30 minutes. We cleared out about, you know, probably 20, 30 layers of compensation. And his first 17 throws were all personal bests. Mm-hmm. So we have tons of anecdotal evidences like that. I mean, we're talking like, like hundreds of pieces like that. So we don't have like an official case study, but it's, we're working with athletes and they're, they're jumping higher, running faster, throwing ball faster, hitting the ball harder, that sort of thing. That's a regular occurrence with this. So what's cool is if I were to go work with five or 10 athletes, there's going to be a certain percentage of these guys, like a, a, I'd say a large majority probably 60 to 90% of them are going to have uh, a functional improvement that's very perceptible, whether it's objective or and or subjective. So are you, are you using sort of that? So even this was Lisa there, if we weren't sure, you kind of looked at this sort of gate pattern on the table, saw what was threatening, found a threat by, by again, kind of peeling back layers of, well, is it threatening there between knees, hip, uh, or the, the thoracic spine and then when you found an area then is it threatening in one of the you know planes of motion frontal transverse uh sagittal or flexion extension lateral flexion and then once you found a threatened one go into an isometric mm-hmm. and because the isometric then is giving the brain an opportunity to kind of hold that position and go oh wait this is actually pretty safe and then retesting to see if the original pattern is better than what it was at baseline nailed it i think it's absolutely what we just did yep and is say that is just really is that like this like are you kind of doing that standard sort of gate pattern so someone on the table are, are you like that internal rotation pattern is that just is that like just a kind of just a, a baseline one that you go to or 
Yeah, it's a baseline one we go to just for with people over the years. It's just almost every one of us yeah. is going to display internal rotation right or left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very common thing, yeah. So it's, just, it's good for, like, demos. But, I don't, again, like, I don't, oh, that means Y and Z. Like, no, nah, check it out. You're like the rest of us. You're goofed up and you're not symmetrical. Yeah, back to, yeah, you know, yeah. what you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. I get for you. Me, for me, I love, I love the fact that it shows all the way down your spine when that foot hits the ground stuff changes yeah that, that's that's been the biggest thing for me is to see that is you know if if i'm loading somebody into that right step or that left step there's going to be all the way up there's going to be some type of action and when you see that in your compensation pattern that's incredible mm-hmm. i mean and, and again and then we can even circle it back to intent if your brain actually thinks about that movement, you're going to get the same response. And now mm-hmm. that goes for me, it goes all the way back to Jay Schroeder's mm-hmm. stuff where he talks about pipes, right? And, and the emotional connection to what you're doing. And, and so much of the brain that's, that we have not even crossed yet is this intentionality, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Don, where, where, where has this fit into your training system? Yeah. Cause I mean, you, you have so many well, tools me, in the toolbox. Me right, right now, Sean teaches a way to blanket it, right? So we're going to go through some, some basic patterns that we can remove some of the, the, the obvious ones. Like you said, right to the hips, right? You were like, oh, the hips. Well, there's some general things that we can do with everybody. And that's what I had told him when I met him is it, it, there has to be something for me as a coach that I can implement that's going to cover, throw a blanket on a lot of different people to put into a warm-up, to put in between workouts, to put in between intraset stuff. So he created that part of it he calls Signal 6, mm. right? And then, and then if I really am looking at an athlete and they're struggling with pain or, or whatever there is they're struggling with, I'll get in there individually and work with them. So, yeah, there's, there's a part of the system that's a little bit more all-encompassing. Well, I definitely would love for Sean to – get some of the resources for myself and Dan. Like, so just, I'd, I'd love to, like Sean, if you like read up on more of the, like, you know, the PRI and Carrick and sort of that stuff. And just, just to see like the similarities or even some, like, I'd, I'd love to see what you would think of their material in comparison to yours and like, see. And I, I am familiar with a lot of the different things, but I know PRI is pretty complex. I mean, I've had people that I've spoke to that talked about learning PRI for the first time 27 years ago and they still don't feel like they've mastered it because it's pretty, some deep waters and very complicated. It's because it's their own fucking language. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you know what I mean? They are, yeah, they, yeah. You, you get Ron and he's putting all these acronyms sure. and he's like, Ron, what, what is a fucking left AIC? Like, what are you talking about, man? You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but like, there, there is, a, I, listen, like anything, like, you know, like there's, there's, there's parts of it that resonate. And again, I suppose it's, it's often to do with the, the end consumer to where they are currently in their progression, you know, as mm-hmm. a coach, as a therapist and as a human in terms of what they can make out of any information, you know, like all three of us could go to the same seminar now. And one of us would be like, well, that was crap. And the other person go, I thought it was all right. And then the third person go, I thought it was amazing because we're right. all coming at it from such different perspectives. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I think a lot of stuff just using PRI again, I think a lot of their stuff is, very logical. I think it makes a lot of sense. Definitely mm-hmm. made me think the first time I've done it. Like a lot of the course, you know, just with like DNS and, you know, um, DMS and a lot of stuff with Gray and the functional movement systems and, you know, even MAT with Greg uh, Roscoff. And, 
Mm-hmm. That's why, like, an FRC too. Like, you know, you talk about taking the threat down with isometrics. I mean, that that that's very similar to a lot of FRC stuff with Spina. In the mm-hmm. you know, so Spina's whole thing is that people do all this mobility work and it's all passive, but you never put any active sort of strength range of motion on either side of the joint. So he'll always bring like people like he does cars the controlled articular rotations similar to you again where he's like the joint needs to know its full range of motion for centration then when it knows the centration you've got to make it strong so so robbie what you're explaining right what you're explaining right there is is like it sounds very similar to what sean's doing there too you know it it is but but what happens i'm trying to to make this the words come to life like when you look at neurology and you're trying to impact it Sean's like a Sean's system is like a plug in place. You touch, I figured it out. I don't have to trace it, but we're using the brain's map yes. to help us drive where we want to go. It, it, yes, cars are important, all that stuff. But now we're going. Here's why. Right here, you're going to do cars. Forget the knee right now. That's not displaying what you need. Right here is the issue in this phase of gait. So it it, it is giving mm-hmm. you a direct harpoon shot right on the bullseye. I get you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're looking at the gate pattern and saying, all right, this part is feeding into well, the, this gate. The gait. last one that he did was off of a sit-to-stand pattern. I mean, there's sit-to-stand and gate. So, I mean, mm-hmm. even with the PRS, that's great. Is it that specific? But you got to go looking for it, right? And hope that your background matches what you're looking for. In Sean's system, right. is the, the person's going to tell you. So it gives you the answers to the questions. Yeah, what I would say is I don't know enough about anyone's system to be able yeah. to say yeah or no to any of that. What I'm going to tell you right now is with Carrick's stuff and, and even the PRI stuff, I've seen a lot of that stuff, is you talk about you being not – I'm not smart, right? I'm not smart. So when I look at it, I'm like, oh, my God, I've got to research all that stuff to get this much of something that's practical. Mm-hmm. But this system is in 10 minutes, you figured out what the body's, what the brain is kind of pushing out to you. And you can go follow that path rather than some path that I'm hoping I know the anatomy, the correct way I'm hoping. Right. And I think a lot of people's interventions are going after like, well, we all, we need hip this or we need back that like, that's all great. And that's all true, but it's all about in this present moment, where is their nervous system saying, Hey, you know what? You, you got to fix this. You get, this is where I really have a need for improved signaling. Like you can build a case like, yeah, we need to have our eyes. That, that's good. We need our rotation of our neck. We need all these things. There's no question, but it really comes down to is right now, each individual their nervous system is very particular, very specific about what it needs in order to kind of unlock and free up, uh, you know, this, this, you know, reduce the need to compensate. Yeah. So we can theorize it. Oh yeah. It's really important to have hip abduction extension. Like, yeah, no argument for me, but how do you know that that's a priority right now? Cause that's your priority as a practitioner. And I like, guess what? Your nervous system doesn't give a crap about my opinion. doesn't give a crap about Dan's opinion. So to me, it's like, okay, it'd be really cool. And that's what we're doing with square one is, how do you pose questions to each person's nervous system and give the individual's nervous system what it needs, not what I think it needs because, oh, my vast experience and I found if we open up hip extension, that makes my sprinters fast. Like, oh, that's great. That's cute. That's all downstream. And it's not even wrong. It's just that right now, neurologically, all of us have a, a deficit that needs to be addressed right now in order to reduce how that person 
compensates. I don't know if I said that well or not. Or, no, I did, yeah. Listen, yeah. again, I fully agree with all that. And, like, another line premise to me nearly in all systems is, like, it's just, like, about the brain and the brain, like, decreasing threat to the brain and decreasing mm-hmm. neural inhibition and allowing an individual to be expressed as much force as he can through as an optimal movement sequencing pattern as possible and there is no optimal movement because every movement is different because every movement is emerging property so like there is no such thing as optimal movement there there are uh what would you call models there is definitely technical models to every movement but within that as huge variation or bandwidth as dan as dan path would say in terms of how every individual solves a movement problem because again if you look at newell's model of um self-organization or constraints constraints based learning you know you have organism mm-hmm. task environment so you have also to take those factors in and then with the organism the structural and functional uh, constraints as well but i like anything like i don't know enough of any one system to be able to like defend it or say yes or say no mm-hmm. and like i all i know is that well and i say all i know again is very little but one consistent theme i've seen so far in my career is that most people make very false assumptions about every single system because they, mm-hmm. they don't like so i mean so you get people like and they're, they're they'll criticize sfma or pri or matt or your work now at square one because they don't either fully have the full information about the system or they don't fully understand it well enough and then one thing human beings hate is uncertainty so if you read Daniel Kahneman's work, Thinking Fast and Slow, he's like, what we do as humans to add back certainty and to put things into categories and nice little boxes in our brain, say, oh, I sorted that out. I figured that out. Now I put that there. Mm-hmm. Even, even if what we told ourselves is a lie, what we do is we make up stories in our head. We go, yeah. oh, this is this and this and this. Oh, that makes sense to me. Now I've, I've actually, I've, I've, uh, like, that's all boxed off now and it's in there. Even though your assumption could be completely wrong, you're just happy enough and your brain is too lazy to, to bring that box back out now and say, oh, I don't want to have to reinvest time and energy to really understand PRI or square one, or I've, I've, de- I've already decided what it is, you know, it's in this category. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying that because like, I, I haven't invested enough time or energy into anyone's true system to be, like, to be able to, to be able to answer questions that people bring forth on it too. So that's mm-hmm. just one thing I want to say about other systems. But in terms of your work there, I mean, everything that you've done makes sense to me, like mechanistically again, for me, it's, you know, obviously brain decreasing brain decreasing threat and I, I understand what dan is saying that your system it's a little it's more specific to the point because you're kind of going like right here's a gate pattern how we deal with ground reaction forces what part of this system is feeding into dysfunction into how this person is dealing with ground reaction forces in their gate pattern so obviously they're like with lisa there was something going on in thoracic spine and inflection so we put the isometric there and it got better so no listen it's extremely interesting stuff um i've got nothing much to add but i mean you, dan and yourself you can say any more pieces you want no, i just when you talk about all those different systems too and i i think i've had a, a pretty good upbringing in in the industry in terms of seeing different things um and and again from each one of those things you pick out certain parts that really hit home one of those things for me in, in human movement is is isometrics in locomotion are important, number one. Number two is we have to – intent matters and how you wrap that intent in your therapy or your performance training. Um, and ground reaction forces are, are huge. Um, so when you, when you look at this system, it, it just made me stop in my tracks and go, wait a minute. 
okay, this, this is kind of answering most of those things. Um, and I know this, if corrective exercises were what people thought they were, mm. you'd see a lot greater things on the internet of, oh, look, I, I've been doing tibial internal rotation and, you know, working with a band and this works. Right. You don't see those. I mean, he took away a tibial internal rotation in 10 seconds. I mean, and again, it wasn't anything that he had to go looking for. It. Where, where is the spot? Where, where do I need to go to give me instantaneous results? And when, I think when you deal with the nervous system, that's what you get. You get an instantaneous feedback of how the brain is perceiving that action, which is awesome. So, Sean, where can hmm. people find out more about your work? Um, have you, like, obviously everything that was on is on lockdown given uh, COVID-19, but do you have any online resources people could go check out? Yeah, a great question. Uh, the main place where we are uh, active would be on um, Instagram. So that's you know, Square One System. And then our website is also Square One System. So www.squareonesystem.com. Um, you know, because of this COVID-19, it's kind of, you know, I've wanted to take a lot of my stuff into, uh, into an online format. Mm. And now all of a sudden COVID-19 is a pretty good impetus and it's given me the time to do that. So actually behind the scenes, Dan and I have been working on the signal six program, which is like you guys were talking about earlier, more of a blanket. It's a little less precise than what we just showed you in square one, yeah. but it's very much inspired by square one. So we're kind of picking on the six areas of the body that most commonly house these sensory motor signaling area issues. And it's also in six degrees of freedom, flexion, extension, internal, external, and abduction, adduction. And so we're about ready to launch that later this week. So we're, we're hoping to actually as soon as tomorrow or Friday, wow. uh, that'll be live. And that'll be, and that's really, that was really born out of my desire to help some of my students who are team strength coaches or team coaches themselves. Cause with one, the biggest cut, um, you know, the big, biggest honest criticism of square one is it is a one-on-one -on -one thing and it's not easily integratable into a, into a practice scenario. Mm. So I want to create something that coaches could, uh, you know, get some of the goodies out of square one and help their teams all at the same time. Uh, so that's going to be coming out. And then we're also going to put the whole square one system that's, that's been taught in live workshops in the past. We're going to be launching that sometime, hopefully as soon as the end of this month in April of 2020, but certainly by May of 2020, we, there's about a 95% chance we're going to have that also in an online course format. And we're still going to have our live workshops and all that, but it's more or less going to be like our level four. And we're going to try to get level one, two, three, all just online. And then people can come and visit us in Chicago to get even more handholding if they want. Uh, but that's what we're working on. And Dan's been helping us with that and telling people about that. And then also we're going to have some, Dan's going to be doing some lecture material for us as part of our um, educational modules as well. So, Sweet. yeah, we're excited about that. Sweet. Just give me one sec. Yep. I had to pee. <laughs> no, Sorry that's for great. my long, my lengthy answer on the last one. No, <laughs> no, you're grand, you're grand. Crossing that's great. your legs. <laughs> <laughs>
that's great stuff that's great stuff dan where can uh where can more people find out about you you used to have a website you took it down yeah, i don't have a website anymore i'm not interested in talking to too many people no, um i just I, I like to do what i do i mean i you know i i have plenty of of opportunities for work and i i'm doing a lot of consulting now um it's great i mean i the gym's up and running great um we do more instagram stuff and twitter stuff yeah i get you took it down and you know just one thing i didn't say to you another way it was uh want to get fast and you're like a performance coach i was just thinking when everyone when anyone ever says performance coach i always think about like a sex therapist a performance coach (laughs) and then then i was thinking that would be the worst title for your website want to get fast (laughs) you are a sex performance coach no 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 that's 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 very good for it that's the problem we came here to fix we we want we want them to get slow uh no that's great stuff listen sean i'm very interested and intrigued um again everything you said again from a mechanistic standpoint neurological standpoint resonates with everything that i've studied so far today um which isn't a lot because you know (laughs) as i said i I know enough to know that i know fuck all uh it's just every time i read it's it's like that old saying the more you learn the less you realize you know you're just like reading going i'm so dumb Yep. Then you know, I was. I always ask myself, how, like, who figured this shit out? Like, whenever, like, because I love reading physiology, and I'm reading, let's just say, like, protein receptors on the cell membrane. Like, who discovered this? Yeah. Like, who discovered an ion channel? Like, what is going on here? Right. Right. Yeah. You know, it, sound, it sounds like a cool story. But like, how did that? Seriously, did they actually see these structures inside. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or like, you know, like, I, like the nodes of Ron Va on on myelinated <laughs> axons. You're like, what the fuck? Ron Vie, how did I you? Said Ron, Vie, Ron Vie came up with it, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. That was the name. Ron Vie was like, how did he discover this, Ron Vie? Uh, no, so great funny. stuff, guys. Listen, everything will be linked up in the show notes. And uh, listen, I'll I'd be happy to have you on anytime again. If you ever want to have a chat about anything at all? Cool. But um, listen, for now, we'll call it a wrap there. Just before I go, I always love asking people this question. Uh, Dan and Sean, what are you reading right now? If you're reading anything, you reading any good materials or watching anything? What I'm reading at the moment, uh, what book? Oh, yeah, I'm rereading Polyvagal Theory by Stephen Porges. That's it there. Yeah, um, I'm not reading anything in the industry right now. I'm reading uh, a book uh, uh, by Joe Humphreys on fly fishing. So he's Great. just, uh, yeah, so it's just, I, I love that. And then during these COVID times, I'm in central Pennsylvania right now. So there's a lot of trout streams. So nice. I'm either fishing myself or reading on that right now. No, so not, great, nothing yeah. that's super pertinent to all your audience, but uh, Chris Corfus would be happy with this one too. I always love reading Team Arrivals on oh. Lincoln, the political genius of Abraham Lincoln. That's a great book. Oh. He was a genie. I can name <laughs> all your pre- oh, the old, Ooh. the old body electric. Yeah, I have that one too. I always go back. Robert O. Becker. So I got. I'm not very smart, so I got to go back and keep rereading things. I need to reread that. I read that book. About seven, eight years ago. Do you ever know when you read a book and you're just not ready for it? It's too far ahead of where you're currently at. Like the, the only thing I understood in that book was that you cut off a salamander's leg and it regrows or it's. Leg. I remember thinking, why can't we grow tails? That's what I remember coming away from that well, book. The, hi- the, hi- the hypothesis was that the more complex the, neuro- the nervous system is in an organism, the less it has regenerative capacities. Because we actually still have regenerative capacities in our peripheral axons, but not in our central nervous system axons. Mm. They don't really know why. Well, for some reason, like just they, they they do know that with the schwann cells that a schwann cell um it has a neural lemma so the the cell membrane the neural lemma that actually feeds into the regeneration tube in a an axon in the peripheral system but in the central nervous system it's oligodendrocytes that myelinate the axons and for some reason that has an in- inhibitory effect on 
regeneration mm. of an axon. Because every time I read a, a textbook, I'm like, oh, look at the site. You fucking bastard. No one likes, <laughs> no one likes you. Yeah, yeah you, you inhibit it. Why do you inhibit it? And, uh, Stopping and, us and, from being and so whenever cool. I see a Schwann cell, I'm like, yeah, Schwann cell. You're the, you <laughs> man. So it's that book or Dr. Jack Cruz's Twitter? <laughs> yeah, Cruz. That's what you read. That. That's unbelievable. I must actually, I must get him back on. He's a fucking gas man. Oh, he's the best. He's so intelligent, but he, he's, uh, we said this on our podcast. He's like, like you bring his name up to some people and they can't stand him because they have an emotional visceral response to him because he's very poor at putting out his message in a way to the masses in a mm-hmm. nice way. If you want to say it that way, like well, it's very, poor in, our, in our opinion, right? Yeah, it's he, he's very, I, I don't give a fuck like how he puts it out. He's very aggressive. See, this is the thing. Like whenever uh, I read that book, the four agreements and one of the agreements is in, a, in the book is don't take anything personally. And in, in, a, in that like actual chapter on that, uh, Don Miguel Ruiz says if you take something personally or you get offended that's like the highest form of selfishness because you think everything is about you like if you get offended yep. you think everything is about you or revolves around yeah. it's, like, it's not like people who are like attacking you are doing that because it's an insecurity in themselves so when people are like I don't like Jack uh, Jack Cruz the way he gets on it's like why are you getting offended by it like he's just a guy for <laughs> information like well, why do you think he's attacking you like why are you making it about yourself but he he do, he's very aggressive with how he puts out his message. That's the thing yeah. that, that turns people off. Very like Charles Poliquin was, you know, like mm. and that was that was the the sort of detriment of Charles. Like and, and rest in peace, Charles. Like because I learned so much from and Ver, Vern and Ben is the same. I'm very good friends with Vern. I say the same to same Vern. With Jay same with Jay Schroeder. Yeah, yeah. Like their information's unreal, and then it's just how they put it out. Or there is times like I will say this with Charles Poliquin. There is times where he did like. He did say a few spoofs, you know, like he was saying he put like, I don't know, ridiculous amount of muscle mass on when he went to the Dominican Republic for five days because of the food. Yeah. And you're kind of like, oh, why did you say that? Because what, <laughs> what, what's going to happen is you're going to get the people that don't like you and say, see, that's why I don't like him. But they don't see that. They don't see the other information. That's great. You know what I mean? It's the same with like Paul Check too. You're like, Paul Check, he's like, there's so much good, so much good, so much good. And then he comes out with this radical statement. You're like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that affects people's learning i tell people that all like i've sat into i've sat in these conferences before and like like this guy dr jerry Tennant, right he's brilliant and he says one or two things and people get up and walk out of the room i stay there i listen for the rest of that crazy shit because i know somewhere wired in there the dude knows what he's talking about yeah. I think like we all we all want our heroes to be just flawless. Like you study anyone, Martin Luther King. I love I love JFK. Like people are always like, oh, JFK got in because of his dad. Like you know they stole the election, and then like you know he was a brutal husband to his wife. It's like, do you realize that if any other president had been in that room during the Cuban Missile Crisis, we'd be fucked right now. He's <laughs> a war hero. Um, yeah, you boat he was on. That's yeah. crazy. And I'm not even a Kennedy fan. But I, wonder that, how, I wonder how true that is, though. They were saying like he was dragging things with his teeth. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> I know, but I, I just know I just know I'm thankful for the Cuban Missile Crisis because everyone in that room was like bomb, 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 and he's like, eh, let's take a break. <laughs> <laughs> like to be able to stand up to the generals. That was because after fucking um, the Bay Pigs, he was like, no, nah, I'm not listening to those guys ever again. So anyway, but listen, as uh, we went on a wrap, that this all happens when I talk to people from America. I get into like, U.S. history because I love U.S. history. I I can name all your presidents back to back. I've done it before. <laughs> I love studying all your presidents. I could tune about third grade. That's been a while. Yeah. <laughs>
But listen, uh, we're wrapping up there. I'll say goodbye to you guys offline. So for all our listeners, and I'll probably put this out as a video too. So for the viewers, because you know, you're kind of going to need to see what Sean did there because it's very hard to like listen and go, I don't understand what he's doing. So I'll probably put this out as a video too. But uh, for everyone else, until next time, take care, be well, and stay strong, particularly right now in these times of ours with COVID. But anyway, see you guys. Thank you.